Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Thank you, Faith. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just want to thank you for being in our Wednesday night services. I love seeing what God's doing through our missions work and the opportunities that he affords us. I want to remind you of two things before we go on tonight. Uh, First of all, uh, many of you are looking for opportunities to serve and be involved with unique things and maybe uh, ways that you never had thought possible. Next week, our church is helping to sponsor what is called the Big Search. And we are working with state police. In fact, we are the primary uh, faith-based partner with the state police here in Nevada that will be helping to find missing and exploited children. There's a group called Free International. And uh, because of the Super Bowl coming here next week, there will be many folks who will be uh, trafficked, that will be solicited, and many of them are 12, 13, 16 years old. We need people, if you'd be interested in volunteering, who'd be willing to go down to the state police headquarters here in Las Vegas. And if there is a child that is looking to connect with uh, a faith-based partner, opportunity to share the gospel, oftentimes it's just praying with one of those children. The police will find those people, the operatives that are working with them, they will find those people, and they're just looking for somebody who can share with them love, sometimes just be present as they're going through that processing of it. Uh, Some of our team members will be doing that, and you don't need to know a whole lot about law enforcement, don't need to know a whole lot about... um, Uh, a number of different things. You just need to be able to know Jesus and be able to sit with somebody and pray with them and talk with them, get to know that person. We did an initiative like this um, back when F1 came. And during that F1, we found 14 young people that were missing. And there were posters for around them. We found 14 of them. Some of the stories are incredible. We found one 12-year-old girl who was being solicited and uh, she was pregnant, and we were able to get her resources. And this next week, there will be a number of different opportunities to participate in just showing the love of Jesus. Um, If you would be interested in helping out with that next week, uh, we need somebody on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday who will just be available. Many of the day, much of the day, you'll be sitting in the lobby of uh, state police headquarters, but if there is a call out, you would be Uh, connected with the person who's being trafficked, the person who's being um, solicited, and most of the time you're just being a comfort there, praying with them, getting to know them as all of this other stuff is going on and they're dealing with the bad people that are taking advantage of these young folks. So if you'd be interested in something like that, it's a unique opportunity, Um, but our church is sponsoring the event and we need volunteers who can help out throughout the week. We're going to be bringing meals and uh, mostly pizza, subs, that kind of stuff. But if you'd like to help out with that, you can see me. You can see Charity will be over here too. So Charity, if you would take names of people that like to help out with that. The other thing I want to tell you is that uh, we have our couples refresher coming up in just about two weeks. And if you haven't taken time to sign up, we are going to have a wonderful weekend here in the campus on Friday night, on Saturday morning. And if you have been married, want to be married, Uh, need to have a better marriage, have the perfect marriage, then this is a place that you need to be part of. It's on a Friday and Saturday night, and uh, you can look online, but registration is $60 if you take that promo code that's available online that's available for the next week or so. Take advantage of that. And then the last thing I want to share with you is that um, 
uh, Lillian Sherman's granddaughter, and Joe and Janetta, you may know them, their daughter passed away last week, and her memorial service is going to be uh, here at church on Wednesday, excuse me, Saturday at 2 o'clock, and uh, Lillian just wanted me to extend an invite to you if uh, you'd like to uh, celebrate Jasmine's life. Jasmine was saved here as a teenager some 17, 16 years ago, and um, I'm so thankful that I got to know her. She's in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tonight, and uh, we're going to celebrate her life, and that will be Saturday at 2 o'clock. Is that what you wanted me to share? All right, she grabbed me and was like, you better say this or else. And I'm, and I'm scared of Lillian, so I want to make sure I do whatever she says. If you have your Bibles, uh, I asked you to go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, or 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we have a copy of notes tonight. The first lie that was ever shared with man happened in the Garden of Eden. And so as a way of approaching this topic tonight, I want to share with you that God desires your best. God loves you. He cares for you. He only wants what is best for you. And there's a lie of Satan that would say that God is withholding things from you. Do you remember the first lie or the first stories that were going on in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the, yeah, and the earth was now form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And on day number one, he created the sun, moon, and he created light and darkness. Day number two, he separated the firmament and God said it was what? Yeah, you're with me. And on day number three, he created the plants and the trees, and he created the grass. And God said it was what? Oh, you are crushing it. That's exactly right. On day number four, he did the sun, he did the moon, he did the stars, and God said it was good. On day number five, he created the fish, he created the fowl, and on day number five, at the end of the creation, God said it was, oh, you're doing so good. On day number six, got halfway through the day, and he formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But he said, it's not good for man to be alone, and so he made a helpmeet fit for him. And so out of the side of Adam, he created Eve, and man and woman, and all that God made on those first six days, God said it was what? Yeah, it's good. In fact, it's not just good, it's very good. Satan comes in, and we don't know how long this was. I have my suspicions that it was probably only a few weeks, perhaps a few months. I could be wrong about that, okay? But the command given to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. And here were two people in an undisturbed utopia, and they had not been fruitful and multiplied as of yet. So probably a few weeks, perhaps a few months, maybe years. We don't know. That's all conjecture. But they had not had any children at to this point, and God gave them one command. The command was this, every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of guard, uh, knowledge and good and evil thou shalt not eat. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely, what's the next word? You're going to die. Don't eat that tree. Well, Adam and Eve sinned. And they sinned, Eve sinned, because she was deceived. She believed the lie that Satan told her. Adam willfully disobeyed God's command in his life. And the lie that God, excuse me, that Satan gave Adam, and the lie that Satan gave Eve, was this. If you eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will be like what? Can I share with you? Don't turn, you can turn there if you want. Don't let me tell you not to turn in the Bible someplace, but you're already in 1 Timothy. I'll just read it. But of the tree, this is Genesis chapter 3, verse number 3. You can write it down and check me out later if you'd like. But of, the tree of the gar uh, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and ye shall be as... Does anyone know the next word? You're going to be as gods. I don't want you to eat this tree because I am insecure with my position, says God, according to uh, Satan. I don't want you to be as good as me. I don't want you to have the opportunity to know all the things that I have. I don't want you to have these God-like characteristics. And so I've, I made this tree. makes no sense at all. There's no logic. I made this tree so that I would have some type of Achilles heel, some type of weakness. And so don't eat of that tree because I don't want you to be like me. There is a lie that Satan has promoted throughout the years and throughout the ages that God has somehow has something bad in store for you and that we can have a level attainable to God. Now, you and I will never be at God's level. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? <laughs> I, I would hate to carry that burden. I would hate to know that load. That's something I'm... And aren't you glad that Matt Tice is never going to be God? Yeah, by the way, I'm glad that Lamar's never going to be God. And I'm glad that Curtis is never going to be. There's so many people in here. In fact, all of you, I'm so glad that none of you will ever be God. But God, this idea that man can be like God or that man is supposed to reflect God or man can be equal to God, man, that's a challenging disposition. But God has three qualities that you will never ascertain. God is omnipresent which means that God is everywhere all at once. So right now, my parents are in Mississippi. Is God in Mississippi? It's questionable sometimes, but he is. God is in Mississippi. Is God in Las Vegas tonight? Yeah, it is. Um, people look at our city. People, by the way, people in Mississippi would think this. Could God be in Las Vegas? Don't they do that? I got on an airplane Saturday to fly to Las Vegas. And as I turned the terminal, and if you've ever flown into Las Vegas, you know this same feeling. I'm getting on an airplane in the middle of a Saturday afternoon, and as I turn in the terminal from in the Atlanta airport, there is about 40 people singing, Sweet Caroline, and then the whole jetway went, Oh, oh, oh. And everyone's happy. They're going to Vegas. How many of you have ever been on a flight like that to Las Vegas? I've been on lots of flights outside of Las Vegas, and they're never like that. <laughs> Coming to Vegas, they're, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and on the way back there, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's a totally different vibe, isn't it? So even though people in Mississippi might not think that God is here, God is here. And God is in Mississippi, and God's in Texas, and God's, God's everywhere all at once. You will never have that quality. You never will. You have not the quality of omnipotence, which means you have all power. You will never have all power. By the way, the quality of omnipresence, as a fish is made for water, man is made for time. There will never come a time when in your life or in your existence where there will be no quantitative measure of time. Even in eternity future, time is measured by months. How do you know? Because the Bible says that the tree of life every month bears a new fruit. Throughout all of eternity future, you will always be measured by time. My existence will always be measured by time. I will never be all things or all places at once. I will never be omnipotent. 
Now, I might have new abilities. I might have different abilities when I do not have sin in this mortal body. Uh, There will be a time, I imagine, and I believe from Scripture, where I won't need as much sleep as I do. I I won't need as much sleep. I won't won't be fatigued like I will be, but I will never be all-powerful. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. And God is omniscient. God knows all things. God knows what Stan Mitchell is thinking right now. God knows what Curtis is thinking right now, what Jody is thinking right now. That's an amazing thing. Because when I look at you, you guys are just like, this guy is the greatest speaker ever. That's what I'm getting. That's the feedback I'm getting from you guys right now. Okay, that's I feel. Look at Kenny. Doesn't he just exude that Matt Tice is the greatest speaker ever? So that's what I'm feeling right now. But God knows what's going on in your mind because he is omniscient. You and I will never come to a place where we adopt the three godlike qualities of the omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. So in that lie that Satan explains, it brings in sin, man and women's sin. Now this is where I want you to go over because that thought has been just kind of bouncing around in my mind over the last several weeks. In 1 Timothy chapter number 6, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter number 4, the Bible says this in verse number 7, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto what? Isn't that an interesting word? You can never be God, but God tells you and I that we are to exercise. Do you like that word? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. January 1st, you like that word. January 31st, that was a joke. <laughs> God says, now this is, this is God talking. This is not Satan. God says, you and I are to exercise. The word exercise, we'll see it in a few minutes ago, is the, is the Greek word gymnasio. What does that sound like? Oh, you guys are on point tonight. You and I are supposed to get up and exercise ourselves to what? To godliness. So I can't be God. I will never be omnipotent. I'll never be omniscient. I'll never be uh, omnipresent. But God demands, he requires, he commands for you, if you're a believer here tonight, say yes. Then God requires of you to exercise yourself to God-like behaviors, to be a model of who God is. And that's challenged me lately because I understand I'll never be God. I hope you understand that too. You'll never be God. But in this physical body, God doesn't just suggest, but he requires, he demands that I exercise myself to God-like behaviors. Over the next four weeks, I want to take time to study this passage specifically and see what the Word of God teaches us about being godly. We are to be godly people. In this world that is godless, you and I are to be godly. What does that mean? How do I adopt those? And is there a place where I'm violating Scripture in my godliness? Or am I following things that should or should not be? Because 
probably we could find different definitions of what godliness is, couldn't we? I might ask somebody, what does it mean to be godly? And they might give a list of things, or I could ask another person, what does it mean to be godly? And they might have a different list of things. Well, what does the script, if God tells us that we're to exercise ourselves to godliness, then it's important that we act in a godlike fashion. And if you're a believer here, God requires, he demands, he gives a command that you act godly. What is godliness? Tonight, we're going to start looking at this in a four-part series entitled Understanding Godliness. I want you to see the first point is this that God requires us to uh, remember. Point number one is to remember. And there's three things that God requires us to remember. He tells us, number one, to remember the times. Look at verse number uh, six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. In verse number six, the Bible says, if you put into the brethren in remembrance, oh, there's certain things I'm supposed to remember. What are the things I'm supposed to remember? If I'm going to get to godliness, which is in verse number seven, there's certain things I must remember. So in verse number six, it says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance, me and other Christians are supposed to remember certain things if we're going to get to the place of godliness. So here, in verse number six, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, what are these things that we are all supposed to remember? Don't forget these things. I'm supposed to encourage you. You're supposed to encourage me about these things. What are the things? Well, you have to go back to the first five verses and see what those things are. If you're still with me, say yes. Look at verse number one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Whoa, 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 whoa. The first thing that we're supposed to remember is that we are living in the last times. I don't know about you, but I've grown up in this church since I was, uh, before I was born. This is my home church. And throughout the 1980s and into the 90s, I have heard multiple times that this is, these are the ends of days. The rapture's just right around the corner. I sat with preachers at Denny's and IHOPs and Golden Corrals. And I remember hearing preachers saying things like this, if the Lord doesn't come by this next year, I just don't know what's going to happen. Why? Because Bill Clinton just got elected in 1992. I remember going to a Chinese restaurant on the night that Bill Clinton was elected, and, and the people I were with were depressed. Why? Because the world is coming to an end. How many of you remember Y2K? Okay. I was in my class the other night, and I have a lot of young people in our Sunday evening class. Many of them weren't even born by Y2K. And so I said, how many of you remember Y2K? And Sarah Benjamin, who's here tonight, she raised her hand. Sarah, who's of the um, whatever age Sarah is. And I said, how many of you remember Y2K? And Sarah raised her hand. I said, ladies and gentlemen, it's like a Pearl Harbor survivor right here. She made it through. <laughs> she made it through Y2K. And say, explain what Y2K was all about. And Sarah, in her definition, said it was this, and this is going to happen. Then somebody else who was a survivor, you know, we made it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Somebody else who was a survivor explained what Y2K was going to be. But the Lord was always going to come. He was going to be here. It was going, the Lord's just got to come. Now, I hope that Jesus comes even before I'm done speaking. And I believe that the imminent return of Jesus could come at any moment. But biblically, and by the way, we are closer to 
the end days than we were yesterday. And we are closer this week than we were last week. So Jesus could come at any moment. Uh, in fact, I'm of the opinion that the rapture could happen at any time. There's nothing on the calendar of God's time frame that would say, oh, well, we got to do this first, we got to do this first, we got to do this first. But every single time something happens in Israel, there's this great attention to like, whoa, 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 whoa. Rapture prep. Rapture prep. And people start, look, it's end of days. It's end of days. It's the last times. It's the last times. And I get it, and I understand it, and I want Jesus Christ to come. But we have to understand biblically what last times are talking about here. I always had this opinion, and I don't know where I got this, Charity. Maybe you might know. I always had this opinion that Jesus Christ would come. I shared this with my class Sunday night, that Jesus Christ would come at midnight of a new year. I don't know where I got that. We would have these things when I was a young person where we would pray in the new year. These were things that we would do, and so we would all gather together, and people would make food, and we'd play games and stuff, but like at 11.30, 11.45, we would all get down, and we'd pray. We'd pray in the new year together, and all 50, 60, 100 people of us, and I always thought as it was starting to tri- strike midnight, okay, the rapture's going to come. The rapture's going to come. The rapture, because like midnight, that's the time that Jesus would come. And then I realized we're not on Jerusalem standard time. If Jesus is going to come, it's probably going to refer to Jerusalem standard time rather than Pacific standard time for his. It's just, we, we look at things. When does the Bible say the last days are? Look what the scripture says. The Bible says, the spirit teacheth expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. When did the last time start? Well, the Bible says this in Joel chapter 28, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So Joel, an Old Testament prophet, preaching some six centuries before Jesus Christ is born, he gives this prophecy. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has Uh, died, risen from the dead, and ascended to heaven. About 40 days afterwards, the apostle Peter is standing in Jerusalem. And as he's speaking in Jerusalem, he quotes this passage of scripture, and he says this, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the what days? Now check it out, that it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now notice what Peter says, the apostle Peter, which is a pretty good authority of scripture, right? The apostle Peter says that from the point of Pentecost, we have been living in the last days. So Peter, in his day, felt it would have been totally appropriate for Jesus to come back. Paul thought Jesus would come back. Uh, whoever wrote the book of Peter, or excuse me, Hebrews, thought, uh, and so much the more as we see the day ac- uh, approaching, felt that Jesus could come back at any time. So the last days are a time where I believe the timeline of Jesus setting himself up as the king of this earth was paused. And the last days before that last week, that tribulation, that time of Jacob, has been paused during what we refer to as the age of grace or the church age. So in this age, we are living in a time of pause with God's calendar where Jesus would become the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, with a physical crown, with a physical throne here on physical earth. 
that time has been paused. And so we are in this time where God's Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. And I'm thankful it has. Because His Spirit spoke to me, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And a few moments ago, you said, oh, I trusted Christ as my Savior. That means His Spirit was poured out upon you. And when you received Jesus Christ, you received Him through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Amazing, amazing truth. We live in the last days. So remember this. We don't know that there's a time frame. We don't know that there's going to be, as Daniel prophesied, that there's going to be this leopard with spots and this other iron kingdom being erected before all of these things come to pass, it could come at any time. So if you're going to be godly, remember that you are in the last days. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. This age of grace could be finished and the time of Jacob's sorrows could continue. You and I are in the last days. Now, when we remember that, it gives us an urgency to tell people about Jesus. There should be an urgency to spread the gospel. Why? Because we're in the last days. Now, the last days could go another hundred years. And the last days could could be another hundred seconds. But we are in those last days, according to the prophetic timeline that Peter and Joel laid out. Notice what will happen in the last days. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There will be a worsening. People will grow with their imaginations that will do that which is only evil continually. I can believe, how many of you would say when you were growing up, I never thought I would have seen that on TV. I just, I just saw that on TV. I got on an airplane in the airline I was flying. There's a same-sex couple snuggled up beside each other as they're going on a romantic getaway. Would have never seen, that was something that was, you, you don't even talk about that, but it's, that's, that's how we advertise today as something that is normative. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why? Because in these last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Notice what the Bible says. How does that come to pass? That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. The word faith is the Greek word pistos, which means that which is normally understood, that which is truth. This commonality of understanding that we all believe in, the way that you deal with each other, this is just how you deal with a person. We move away from that. Now it's how can I take advantage from you? How can I keep the change? How can I uh, squeeze out every um, morsel of profit? Everything I want to do, verse number two, they're going to speak in lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Wow, look what the Bible says. That in the last days, people will act as if though they have no conscience. Have you ever seen somebody do something and like, how in the world does that happen? You know what frustrates me? That we see crimes being committed and we watch the crimes being committed because rather than intervening when somebody is getting beaten up, our first reaction is to, well, let's do this. I'm going to be the first to post. Here's somebody literally getting wrecked. Let, let's post about it. Let's put this on social media. Whereas before, if you saw somebody in danger, if you saw, you're going to intervene. Women and children first. You take care of people's property. But now we have... A, a, a society in our country, in our country, where it's, 
looked at as normative for people to walk in and steal things. Why do we go into our grocery stores and things are behind glass cages and plastic cages? I don't remember that as a kid. I never remember going in and you have to ask somebody to be able to get the dishwasher detergent. Could we get dishwasher detergent? Could I please get, I had to buy saline solution for my contact lenses the other day. I had to wait seven minutes for somebody to come and get the key so I could buy a $6 bottle of saline solution. Why? Because it's just, we steal stuff. We steal stuff. We don't respect people's property. We beat people. We are violent with each other. And the Bible tells us that that is normative behavior whenever we wax worse and worse. There is a departure from faith or a departure from that which is truth. The Bible tells us that those departures include a number of different things. They depart from the truth. How? They forbid to marry. And that forbidding to marry, what are they doing? They're putting themselves in a place where they've allowed themselves not to, uh, not to endorse marriage. They forbid to marry. Check it out. The average age, I thought this was going to be in here. I didn't get it to her. The average age since 1998, the average age for a man to get married in 1998 was 28 years old. That was the average age for a man to get married. Today, 25 years later, the average age for a man to get married, and they had the qualifier of this, for a man to get married for the first time is 31.5 years of age. Isn't that interesting? Why do men not feel the need to get married? And women follow along on that same graph by about a difference of three years. So women who are being married in 1998 at the average of about 25 years of age are now being married for the first time at the age of 28. How many of you know somebody who's been in a long engagement for many years? Or the, the shack up or the hookup culture where people just live with each other for a number of different years. It's no big deal. Oh, we're going to get married. It's as if we're married. We bought our first minivan, but we're not married. And there is a seducing spirit, the Bible tells us, that allows that type of behavior. It forbids to marriage. Oh, I don't want to get married. I don't want to get married. No, I would never want to get married. If I get married, that would do this, or that would do this, or that would cramp my style, or that would mess me up. And it, it's an it, indication that God's word is true. There's a forbidding to marriage. Notice the other things that are in there. Not only do they forbid to marriage, but they command to abstain from meats. How many of you love a good steak? You are right with God. Look at what the Bible says here. There is, a, there is an unnatural departure from faith or truth. Understanding of man's culture is that man is the prime being on this earth. We are the crown jewel of God's creation. But now we have things like paper straws because somebody put a video of a turtle, turtle on the internet. And so we have to get rid of plastic straws. And so if you go to California and you get a cold beverage within three minutes, it's meh. And part, now it doesn't, the Bible never teaches us that we should destroy the planet, Okay. But the Bible does teach us that you and I, that, the, that the, the earth was made for us. The earth was made for us. We get to inhabit the earth. We get to subdue the earth. We get to overtake the earth. And if, if a person wants to have a, a nice piece of chicken, that's okay. Because the chicken doesn't have feelings about that. And the cow has no feelings about it. The cow's not sad that they're going to a slaughterhouse. 
How do you know? Because I've seen hundreds of them sitting in slaughterhouses as I've watched, like, oh, that, that they're going to be on a dinner table someplace over there. And those cows, none of the cows are like, let us moo out. None of the cows are doing that. <laughs> none of the cows are organizing protests to get out of wherever they are because they're cows. They're chickens. Cage-free, cage-free eggs. Like, we only eat the eggs humanely. And this propaganda doesn't understand that God intended for men to subdue the earth. Now, if you're vegan and it's a thing that you want to do for your health, God bless you. God's really not angry with you. The rest of us are, but God's not angry with you. It's okay to adopt a, 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 a diet that you may or may not like. But the thing to say that God's angry with a person because they have this diet or this diet or this diet, this is what's interesting. The Bible says they abstain from eating meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Look at what God says. And this is so important, that truth comes in an understanding of who God is and what God has done for us. If you're saved, every single thing you do is holy. Oh, let me say it again. If you are saved, every single thing you do is holy. Have you ever heard somebody say this? I like that music, but just not for the church. Or, I like this um, activity, but you should not do that in church. Or, I know we would do this together, just don't let the pastor know. Or, this is something that we, we do, we just don't share that a lot with people. Now, understand this. I believe there's certain things you shouldn't do in church, like fall asleep. Please wake up there in the back. Okay? There's certain things... And it's totally appropriate. Tonight, I hope you go home and sleep. Don't sleep in church. Go home and sleep. So you don't sleep in church. Sometimes we do because we all mess up, okay? But there's certain things you should or shouldn't do in church. But to say that just because I don't sleep in church means it's an unholy activity. Everything I do as a Christian is holy. There is no segregation between the secular and the spiritual, Everything I am is holy unto the Lord. The Bible, check this verse out. It's such a good verse. It's so liberating. The Bible tells us, in commanding to abstain from meats from which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In every activity that you participate in, you should be able to go to God and say, God, thank you for letting me do that. If you go to a concert or a show downtown, you should be able to say, God, thank you for letting me do that. If you can't, you shouldn't go. If you're watching a movie with your family and you say, God, thank you for letting us watch a movie together. If you can't thank God for the things that are on your screen, then you shouldn't be doing it. If you can go to Disneyland, God, thank you for letting us go to Disneyland. God, thank you for letting us go to a ball game. God, thank you for letting us travel here and go on this vacation. God, thank you for this food. Everything that we do should be received with thanksgiving. And if I cannot give thanks to God for it, then I shouldn't be doing it. The Bible teaches us that you and I are sacred and holy before God. 
So if, I could, if a guy, I love this kid, Brock Purdy, who is Mr. Irrelevant, nobody, nothing, and he's in the Super Bowl. He's the 49ers quarterback. To hear his testimony is just sparkling. He loves the Lord. He gives credit and praise to Jesus. Well, how could he can do that? Well, because he's a football player, and he should do that. Well, if you're an electrician, you should do that too. Now, it might be weird because <laughs> you're giving the invoice. Yes, I installed the light bulb and just want to praise the Lord for the $200 that I'm charging you right now for that and the labors and services. Okay, I, that might be weird on a platform where he might have a different platform to share, but you should be able to thank God and praise the Lord in every area, just like a sports star, just like a politician, just like a pastor, because everything you do is sacred. You are a holy people. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The times that they live in, okay, I want to be godly, then you've got to understand we are in the last times. Things are going to be worse and worse, and people will depart from the faith and truth. So since people will depart, since it's worse and worse, I need to make sure that what I'm doing, I can thank God for what I'm doing. How do I know if a behavior is right or wrong? If I'm listening to something, if I'm watching something, am I participating with something? If I'm drinking something, if I'm smoking something, if I can't thank God for this behavior, I should not do it. Because every behavior I have, the Holy Spirit of God is present with me. Look at verse number five. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be refused with thanksgiving. Thank God for it. Everything is good. Do you see how liberating this is? This is in a measure of godliness. So I can go and I can say, this is my list of godliness. And this is my list of godliness, and your list might be different than my list, but notice how God defines a list of that which is good. What is good according to God? Everything. Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused. Oh, no, I don't eat bacon. I don't eat the... No, I don't do these things. I don't do... No, God made it. God made it, and so it's good. If you can receive it with thanksgiving, then go for it. Isn't that liberating? Isn't that, well, that's not on my list. Well, then add to your list. Because God says everything. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I love verse number five. How do I know if I should or I should not do this? Can I thank the Lord for this and ask for his blessing on the activity that I'm about to participate in? Isn't that liberating? It's no longer my list, your list, these people, this tradition. Now, notice how we get to a place where we understand that. The tests are, they're seducing spirits. And those seducing spirits bring no conscience. Oh, man, I, I, there's forbidding to marry, long engagements, the hookup culture, a priestly or covenant vows of celibacy saying, oh, we cannot do these things, we cannot do these things, we cannot do these things. There is a, that is a spirit that is wrong and inappropriate to God. Um, the, uh, the vegan mentality. I just wanted to put that on there. Um, man is the pinnacle of God's creation. Earth was made for man. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now notice point number two, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Acknowledging divine superiority. Number three, and understanding the truth. There is no separation between the secular and the sacred. Forgive me for missing this up. I, 
I got going ahead of my notes, and I just started speaking without following along on the notes. I'll do better next week. <laughs> there is no separation between the secular and the sacred. The Bible says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, you have of God, and ye are not your own. And I do all things for his glory. Everything I do, whether therefore I eat or drink or whatsoever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. And if you're saved, so do you. Letter C, if thanks cannot be given to God for an activity, avoid it. Doesn't that make it so much more simple? Oh, I want to be godly, then thank God. I want to be able to go to God, thank God. Well, I'm not certain about this. Uh, if I go out, is this dress immodest? Is this shirt appropriate? Is this word actionable? If you can't use that word while you're praying, probably you shouldn't use it. Make sense? <laughs> if you feel uncomfortable uttering that word in prayer, well, don't use that word. If there, it just changes our understanding of godliness. Number, number one, uh, or number two, what are things we're supposed to refuse? Now check out what we're supposed to refuse in verse number um, six. If thou put the brethren into remembrance, we saw that, verse number seven, but refuse profane and old wise fables. Now God says you're supposed to remember these things, but number two, you need to refuse these things. What is profane? Profane is that which is of a secular origin. We're talking about false deities here. God, the word profane means that which has nothing to do with God. Talking to a pagan society who would have at that time believed in Zeus, Aphrodite, Poseidon, Medusa, and her snake hair, okay? In a world that's looking at Caesar as if he is God. The Lord says, you refuse that which is profane. The word profane does not mean it's dirty, it's disgusting, it's like, oh, that's a... No, it's a, it's a, a lifestyle, it's a belief system that has nothing to do with God. There is no such person as Zeus. Oh, if you do that, Zeus will be angry. Well, ring a ding ding. I don't care if Zeus gets angry, you have upset the sea gods and Poseidon. I don't care about Poseidon. Poseidon does nothing. Ra, the Egyptian god of the sun. He does nothing. Elijah made fun of him. Ha, ha, ha. Maybe he's going potty. That's Elijah's mentality towards the false gods. So God says, you refuse that. You refuse the profane. The secular deities, you refuse. You don't even give space to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 20, why do you refuse idols? This is important. Because I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to what? Devils. This is interesting. You and I are in a spiritual warfare. And in that spiritual warfare, if we come to a place where we start to give credence to these idols and we show respect to these idols, there's nothing scary. Say Beetlejuice all, all the times you want. It's not going to bring anybody from the dead. You go look in a mirror and do so. Candyman, it's not going to do anything. You know why? Because it's all fake. But check this out. When somebody is worshiping a false idol, it's not just that idol. There is a spiritual devil that is associated with that. 
And that seducing spirit that is recognized back in the first part of this chapter is a seducing spirit that goes around and it's, it's deceiving and it's lying. And so we, we don't fear them. We don't look at Zeus. Ah, Zeus. Nobody's scared of Zeus these days. But sometimes we are scared of um, big media. Or we're scared of um, the HR department. And so we don't witness. And we are scared of what people will say about us online so we're not public with our faith. And so we have false gods that we do give credence to today. And the Bible tells us they sacrifice to devils. They do not to God. And I would that you should have no fellowship with devils. So don't go and worship false gods. He says these are handcrafted. I love how he makes fun of idols. The Bible says they that have a graven image, all of them are vanity. It's worthless. Isn't that crazy? Look at this. Here is the remote. This remote, when pressed properly, will turn this blue light on, which will illuminate that thing that I'm trying to use on Sunday mornings. And I just want you to know, this remote will give you light. Let there be light. Let us all worship the six-button remote. Like, that's so dumb. Look what the Bible tells us. Anybody that would worship a false idol, they're delectable things shall not profit. Oh, we're going to make it out of gold. Well, that's even dumber. They shall not profit, for they are their own witness, and they shall not see nor know, for they shall be ashamed. The word ashamed means embarrassed. Anybody that puts reliance upon a false god of any sort will always be disappointed. Oh, would you please take care of us, false god? Oh, would you please take care of us, god of rain, sun, wind, Captain... America, Earth, whoa. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but that might be the evil devil of Doran. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that was kind of cool that you did that right in the middle of my stuff. Is that saying, shut up, Matt, it's time to go? You got two minutes left? When the blue light comes on and the music plays, time for you to leave. Okay, let me get through the night notes. There are old fables. How many of you ever heard a tradition that you found out wasn't true? Your mom told you something as a kid and you found out it wasn't true. My uncle Ken one time, my uncle Ken one time, my, my aunt was pregnant. She was like six or seven months pregnant, belly out. And uh, he said, you know how that happened? I said, no. She swallowed a watermelon seed. Never wanted to eat a watermelon seed because that one, bloop. <laughs> it may have swallowed a pumpkin seed, but it wasn't a watermelon seed. How many, of you, how many of you know that you're not supposed to go swimming until how many minutes after you eat? Yeah, makes no sense, but we just say those things, right? It's like, and thus saith an old wives' fables. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says, refuse profane in old wives' fables. Refuse profane and old wives' fables. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. There are old fables that have nothing to do with God, but we accept them, don't we? It's the gospel truth. My mommy did it this way. My grandmommy did it this way. And this is the way we're supposed to do it. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It's a tradition. It's a culture, but it's not truth. The Bible says, here's, here's a traditional culture thing. 
big deal. You're Jewish. This is a big deal. Circumcision is nothing. Could you imagine saying that to a first century Jew? Um, hey, guys, this thing you've been doing since uh, Abraham, it's really worthless. Ah! <laughs> Circumcision is what? Well, I mean, it's kind of a good, has some medicinal benefits. We've seen some studies that help. No, it's nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Isn't that fascinating? So here's all these old wise fables and all these traditions that say, you got to do this. You got to do this. If you want God to be happy, you've got to do this. And it's not keeping the commandments of God. Superstitions. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Be not dismayed at the signs of the heaven. And the heathen are dismayed at them. I'm born in August. And from time to, especially if I'm getting on an airplane or I'm showing my ID for something, they'll say, oh, you're born in August. You're a, I think I'm a Leo. Is that right? Uh, what day? Real specific sinners here. They know this stuff really, they really deep, right? And uh, so people say, oh, you're a Leo. And they'll say, and people have said this to me, something like this. They say, oh, you're a Leo. Well, that makes sense. And I don't know what that means. I, I really don't. I, I don't know what that means, and I'm not sure that I want to know what that means. They're like, oh, you're a Leo. Well, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, or you're welcome. I don't know what to do because I'm a Leo. Okay? By the way, it's August 11th. Write that down. Everyone write that down. Write that down. And don't get me pumpkin seeds, okay? Because there's worthless effort here. All of those things, they're worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless. It's worthless effort. We go and look at the stars. So how do I become rich? I want something that's profitable. Look what the Bible says. You exercise, you uh, gymnasium this work. What does the Bible say? You exercise yourself unto godliness. And this is the whole point of what we're talking about tonight. We'll move into next week and we're done. We exercise ourselves not to this superstition, not to this tradition, not to this culture. And it's easy to do that because I have people chirping in my ears all the time of what I should or what I should not say. They're chirping, chirping, just like you are. Chirp, 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 chirp. What does the God say? What does the God of the Bible say? Exercise yourself to this. Live your life by this. This is the standard. This is the truth. Not the chirping of somebody else's tradition or culture or ways of actions. You know this. You exercise yourself unto godliness. Godliness is not natural. It takes work. And effort accompanies this discipline. If you were to go to the gym, if you were to go to the gym, I'm going to pick on Mario because that's what I do whenever he's under my teaching. If Mario were to go to the gym, he could go to the gym in that outfit right now. He could. He could walk, probably get on a treadmill. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be as good because when Mario goes to the gym, there's probably a different pair of shoes you would wear probably a different pair of pants, or, and probably a different shirt, probably a muscle shirt, since you're Mario. And there would be a, there would be a whole different, there's a set time, there's a behavior you're going to go through, because when you go to the gym, you are wrapping yourself around a discipline. When you want to be godly, it doesn't come natural. This is the point. If you want to represent and be like God, it's not something that's just like, no, I'm going to turn the light switch on. You have to work at it. That's the word exercise. That's the word discipline. Godliness, though, is attainable. Isn't that beautiful? Every single person in here can be godly. Not just the holy ones of us. The really, the really good ones. Not, not like, and you know who they are. Look around. You see the holy ones, and then you see yourself, right? 
Godliness is attainable. Every one of us can be godly. But it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. It's something that has to be worked at. Bodily exercise has a limit. But spiritual exercise, look at this scripture. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable into what things? If you are godly, will it help you at your job? If you are godly, will it help you in your marriage? Help me out. Because it will, it will profit into what? How many things? It'll profit into all things. If you are godly, it will help in your employment. It will help you in your parenting. It will help you in your citizenship. God's people need to be godly. And if we are godly, the Bible tells us it profits into all things, having the promise of this life that now is. It's not just, oh, if I'm godly, God will be happy with me someday when I'm in the uh, uh, mansions with the angels. No, it profits now. Godliness affect, uh, helps this life, and discipline affects eternity. This is always true, and profit comes in the action. The Bible tells us this in James 1.25, blessed are those who uh, looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He be not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in the deed. This is beautiful. When a person works towards godliness, they might not even have the right heart attitude. Well, whenever I feel like serving the Lord and I can give it my all, then I'll do it. No, that's not what God says. God says, you just start doing it now. You start being godly now. And you say, well, my heart's not in it. There's blessings in the deed. If you just be God, you make right choices now. There's a blessing in that right choice now. There's a blessing in the deed. Well, I want to make sure that, I, you know, I'm just, kumbaya, my Lord. Nope. You just do what's right. When you do what's right, God will help, help you and me to understand godliness. We'll see more about this next week. Father, thank you for your word and the time together. May we explore it and understand it so we can show forth godliness and be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.